All right. We are jumping into the last chapter of Jonah. Um, this book has been just phenomenal for us to soak in and to learn from, both, um, both of, from two different perspectives. Those of you who are the rebellious who maybe were dragged here by your friend or something like that, and those of you who are the religious people, who are the people that get made fun of by the news and, and such. Um, and this book has been for us. It's been really good. So if you want to stand as we read from Jonah chapter 4, let's read this, um, read this chapter and pray. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see, till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it made it come over, up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on, on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I, I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you to uh, ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, would it dig deep into, our, into the core of our hearts to teach us, to help us experience this grace that you are talking about, that you are um, tearing Jonah up to, to show us our own selves. God, I pray that this story um, in our eyes would be more than Jonah, more than Nineveh, would it would be about you and your grace poured out to us, your people. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We've been going through the book of Jonah for the last three weeks. This is our fourth week on it, and we come to chapter four. Um, we've come to chapter four. We see in chapter one, Jonah runs from God. He flees God. Um, God has called him to go to Nineveh to bring the good news, to tell him to repent and he, Jonah, decides to run. So chapter 2 is Jonah getting swallowed up by a fish, and he's in the belly of a fish where he has that moment, that moment of salvation, that moment that probably many of you have experienced in your life. 
The moment where you cried out, salvation belongs to the Lord, just like Jonah did. And then in chapter 3, he finally obeys God, goes to Nineveh, tells him in five words to repent. They do it, all 120,000 of them. They do it in a heartbeat just like that, from the king to the cattle. Uh, they, all, they all repent are in, our, in uh, mourning over their sin. And then we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Now you would expect in this chapter, at least I would, if this was a, good, a really good story, that in chapter 4 it would be the end. They lived happily ever after with Jonah shepherding them and caring for them and pastoring them. And all was good, right? That's what we'd hope to see. I mean, that's what I'd want to see. Um, they got, Jonah's got his church. I mean, he's got the, the mega church, the 120,000 people, mega giga church. I don't know, the big, huge church, 120,000 people. And some of you don't like big church. You know, that's big. But they, they, you would expect that. But um, chapter 4, this part of the story, has, has all of us, in the middle of looking at Jonah and saying, you ungrateful, selfish, racist jerk, how are you so selfish to see that Nineveh needs you to shepherd them or needs you to take care and help them and needs you and, and all of this, and you just tell them to repent, they repent, and you walk away. You go up into the mountains and you're just watching the city, waiting for the giant meteor to come down and crash and kill everyone. And then Jonah's like, yes. My work is done. At least they're in heaven because they repented, but they're still dead. You know, that's kind of what Jonah wants in all of this. And it has me looking at Jonah and just saying, you are so ungrateful. I, I, don't, I can't relate to you. Um, but in this, in this, Jonah has much more in common with us, you and I, than we could ever imagine. Much more in common because what we see in this chapter is Jonah's heart truly revealed. God has peeled back these several, several of these layers to really expose Jonah, expose his heart, show his heart, so that we can all see that. And, and of course, we in our self-righteous throne want to look at it and point our fingers at Jonah and say, how can you be like that, Jonah? But in that, we're standing on the same side of Jonah, pointing our fingers just like Jonah's doing to Nineveh. We are like Jonah here. Last week, I, I pointed out that there's two ways to run from God. There's the path of the rebel who's disobeying God, running from God, and saying, I don't want anything to do with you, God. And then there's the path of the religious that says, okay, I, I'll, I will just obey and do what you tell me to do. I'll be obedient. I'll be the good person without any heart transformation. And then these, the, both of these paths, running from God, there's only one way to truly live in that. And that is through repentance in the gospel, repentance in God's grace. That's what's been, been trying the, the, the point of this. And today I want to show you Jonah's way of running from God. I want to look at Jonah's life. Last week we looked a lot more of the, the rebel, the rebel um, Nineveh, and the sailors, and the king who all repented, who were rebellious. But this week I want to show you Jonah, his attitude, his attitude. Because we can't read this story, like all stories in the Scripture, but we can't read this story far away. We have to put ourselves in the story. Even the people that we want to say that I have nothing to do, I am not like Jonah. We must look and see, no, we are a lot like Jonah. Um, because the, the reality is, 
The reality is, is that some of you grew up Christian. Maybe you grew up a pastor's kid or a missionary kid. I've heard, met many of you who have. And you've got some tainted worldview of what the church is, and you're angry at the church, and you're bitter at the church, and you think the church is just a bunch of religious hypocrites, or something like that, and you carry all of this baggage. But we must see that in all of that, even in your, even, even in your religious self-righteousness, you are still self-righteous. And you have to get that, that that leads to the same place that Jonah was led to and that many are led to, which is, uh, which is really anger and loneliness. Anger and loneliness. Even, even enough to die. In Jonah's mind, the entire world has turned against him. Everything in his life is going wrong. Everything in his life has gone wrong. God has turned his back on him. Uh, uh, Nineveh has turned his back on him in his mind. Uh, Jerusalem, his, his, his uh, country, has turned their back on him. He's hit the rock bottom, and he confesses to God. He confesses to him. He says, I have nothing, I'd rather die. I have nothing left to live for. Why would he say that? I mean, he just led this mass revival. He just saw this wicked city become good repent of their wickedness? Why would he say that he has nothing left to live for? Listen, because, because he has put his identity in something, into something that he just now discovered was false. Something has let him down. In other words, Jonah is talking to God and telling him that he has no meaning in life. He's looking at the author of meaning. He's looking at the creator. He's looking at the one who gives meaning and saying, I have no meaning. How can he say something like that? This kind of heart, this kind of heart that says something like that, is surfacing up in Jonah when he saw that something in his life had become more of a God than God has. And that so-called God has let him down. And Jonah quickly understood this. He quickly understood this when he said, I'd just rather die. I mean, how many times in Jonah has he said, I would just rather die? Then go through all this. How many times in your life have you said, in all these different moments, I would just rather die than go through this. This is just too hard. This is too much. This is too much temptation. This is too much pain. This is too much struggling. This is too much whatever it is to go through. Just let me die. When you start saying, like, saying things like that, what you're really saying, what's, what's at the root of this and what's at the root of Jonah's life is that, what I put my identity in has failed me, and I have nothing left to live for. Nothing left to live for. And almost all of you felt like this at some point in your life, right? Unless you've grown up in some kind of perfect little bubble world with no problems or something like that. I mean, you've all gone, even if it's like, my girlfriend broke up with me. We dated for three months. It was, it was perfect, and she broke up, and my, I'm, I'd rather die, you know? married people, and most everyone looks at that and says, come on, ridiculous. You know, that's just ridiculous. That's absurd. But, um, but what happens in this is, is it, that's what God is looking at all of this, and he's looking at Jonah and looking at all, and he's saying, come on. I'm the one who gives you meaning, and you're saying, I, I, I would rather die? Life is meaningless? 
All that comes from when we put our identity in things that fail. When we put our identity in things that fail. So God exposes that in Jonah. He does this by asking three big questions. He's asking Jonah three big questions that really go deep, deep, deep into Jonah's soul. He's really looking to the bottom of Jonah's soul and saying, uh, and really showing him, your identity must be in me. You must be found in my grace. And he asks three questions. I think they're like peeling back these different layers to get to the bottom. The first thing, the first layer uh, is jo- of Jonah's despair comes at his anger with Nineveh. Jo- Jonah is just so angry with the city of Nineveh and, that they have repented, been forgiven, um, from, been forgiven, and without any repercussion, just like that, they repent and they're forgiven. And Jonah, of course, is angry. You can't just do that. God's first question that came after Jonah confessed that he knew the whole time, he knew the whole time, he says that in, in the beginning of chapter 4, that Nineveh's, Nineveh would be forgiven. He, he knew that God would do something so crazy and so insane like this to just forgive them without repentance or without, without anything. And, and, and Jonah's just frustrated with that. It's deep in Jonah's heart. He felt that payment was due. He felt like Nineveh had to pay for their sins. That they had to pay for their sins. Nineveh had to work hard for their salvation, just like Jonah has his entire life. Jonah has worked, um, worked out his salvation. He has worked in Christ. He, he didn't hurt anyone. He was a good neighbor. He was a very good citizen of Israel. He served Israel well. He was very well-respected um, Christian. Uh, he, he was well-known, and he felt like he deserved his salvation. He earned it. He was a good guy. And listen, Jonah felt as though his whole life of devotion, everything that was underpinning his identity, was a sham, false, which led him to despair. Felt like, how can you just forgive them when my entire life I've worked so hard to be a godly man, I've worked so hard to be the, the, this man that you've called me to be, and then you just forgive them, just like that. Jonah needed to see the racism towards Nineveh, to see his hatred towards Nineveh. He needed to see that his anger towards them was because he felt superior to Nineveh. He felt superior for them, and, and underpinning all of that was the fact that he felt like he was better than them, and that was stripped away. Because now, spiritually, they're on the same level as Jonah, and he knew it. He knew it. And that just crumbled, crushed, took away his foundation. His foundation, and that's why life was meaningless for him. Though the deeper issue is Jonah's problem with God. He's, he's, that's the deeper issue, is that he's angry with God. Jonah had to see first that Nineveh deserved grace as well. He first had to look at Nineveh and say, okay, I understand Grace is given to all, not just Israel, but all people. You know, Jonah's, Jonah's exposed heart here reminds me of a story that Jesus told. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of this man who had two sons, two brothers, one older brother, one younger brother. The, the older brother, 
He's the responsible one. He's the religious one. He's the one who takes care of the farm, who takes care of the family, who does all of the right things, who is obedient, who does whatever the father says. And then there's the younger brother. The younger brother takes all of his inheritance early, takes all of his inheritance early, goes out, gambles it away. He's gone. He's, he's, uh, he's falling apart. He's rebelling against his father. He's doing whatever his father, doing the opposite of whatever his father tells him to. He's throwing away all his money. He hits rock bottom when all the money's gone. He, he, he's, he's gone. He's, he's hit the rock bottom. And the younger brother decides as he hits rock bottom, you know, I need to repent and run to God. And so he runs home to his father, asking for repentance. The father welcomes him, him in, and not just welcomes him back in, gives him his robe, gives him a ring, calls him in, slaughters the calf, throws this massive party for this brother who squandered everything, who got rid of everything. And the older brother, what does he do? He sits outside the party, just like Jonah sat outside the city. He sits outside the party and sulks and whines and cries and is frustrated because God, the father in the story, had extended grace to this younger brother. Same story, just paralleling each other. Tim Keller points out in his book, The Prodigal God, which is at the book table, highly recommend it. He says, the first sign you have an elder brother spirit that, or a Jonah spirit is that when your life doesn't go as you want, you aren't just sorrowful, but deeply angry and bitter. Elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they should get a good life, that God owed them a smooth road if they try, if, if they try very hard to live up to standards. What happens, however, if things have gone wrong in your life when you know that you have been falling short of your standards, you may swing miserably back and forth between the poles of I hate thee and I hate me. See, Jonah was exactly like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. His anger was swinging around, hoping that Nineveh would be destroyed, hoping that, that God would do something and not just show his grace to all of Nineveh. And God had to deal with, with Jonah, deal with something in his heart. And that is exactly why God asks Jonah this very pointed question. Jonah, sitting outside the party, arms crossed, just angry and bitter. And God says, how you feeling? Do you do well to be angry? How's that going for you? How is your anger going for you? And of course, Jonah's just like, meteorites, come on. I want to see some fireworks, blow something up, do something. And, and, and God's not. God's teaching Jonah something, and he's teaching you and I something. So that's the first layer. The second layer, the second question that God asks Jonah in verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? After all that Jonah has been through, after all that, story doesn't end. In fact, it gets kind of weirder. Um, if, you, if you stop and you actually look at this, think about this, it gets a little stranger. It's a side note little thing. It's the few verses where um, God is exposing an idol even more so. 
even more so, just a little more. And, and God's peeling back the second layer to get to that hard issue. He's digging even more in Jonah's soul. He's poking and he's getting deep down into his soul to try to expose him so that Jonah can finally see the sin that really is in there. So Jonah leaves the city. He leaves the city. He sits on a mountain overlooking the city and waits for God to destroy it. He's up waiting for God to destroy it. And he's like, he's thinking, maybe God heard my request. Maybe he heard my request that Nineveh be destroyed and I'll wait for it to happen. Even some of his language that he uses. Some scholars say that he might even been trying to manipulate God, thinking he'll say, he's like using reverse psychology and these kinds of things to try to get God to actually destroy them. It's like a passive aggressive thing. But on the mountain, he's waiting. He's still angry and he's alone. Now, if any of you have ever spent time in modern-day Iraq or the Middle East, which is pretty much none of you, maybe the Mustines, um, you know that the east winds can be very intense. Um, hot, it's like a hot, hot, hot wind blowing at you, and the sun, of course, is extremely hot. So where Jonah was in this, he was burning up hot. And every commentary I read talked about how fierce this wind would be. It would, it would kill people. It's just so intense. So Jonah builds this little shelter. He builds this booth that obviously wasn't helping a whole lot. It obviously wasn't very good because he was still struggling under the heat. But he's, he, he, um, he's under this little booth, this homemade little janky shack that he has. And God decides to provide a plant to grow, to provide him with better shade and protection. That's nice of God. I mean, Jonah's sitting there, whining and complaining, God, I'm pointing the finger at God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were going to do all these things. I knew that you were this way. Oh, I'm so mad at you. And then God's like, well, here, I'm going to provide you some shade. God is so gracious, isn't he? Well, Jonah, um, he's feeling good now. He's feeling really good. He's got some shade. He's got some shelter. And the shade comes up, but the very next day, the very next day, God sends a worm, and the plant is destroyed. I mean, can you imagine being in that situation? So happy that God provides this, and the next day you come out of your booth, and you're like, oh, come on. Thank you, God, for nothing. Thank you for nothing. I mean, first the city repents, and you knew I didn't want that. And then you do this nice thing for me, and of course, you have to destroy it. You have to destroy it. Uh, destroy, I mean, he, he's sitting there thinking, my, my life just stinks. Everything about my life stinks right now. Everyone is against me. I'm, he's just so frustrated. I love the, um, the, the comic sketch. If you've ever seen it, it's with Louis C.K., him on the Conan O'Brien show. It's a real pop. It's got like a million hits on YouTube. It's hilarious. So he's talking, about, um, he's talking about the fact that technology is wasted on the dumbest people, which is very true, right? We're like the dumbest generation, and, and, and this amazing stuff, this amazing technology is wasted on us because we don't care. We just, we just want it. And so he's talking about the, when he was sitting on a plane, and wireless internet was like the newest thing that had ever been out on a plane, on an airplane, and nobody knew about it. Everybody on the plane, nobody knew about it. And the, the stewardess comes on, hey, we're, we're uh, glad to offer now for the first time internet on the airplane, wireless internet, so get your laptops out and go to town. 
And so everyone on the plane's, yeah, this is great. So they got their laptops out, and they're streaming, they're watching Netflix and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if Netflix was out then, but they're watching all of that stuff. And a few minutes into it, the wireless internet goes down. And he, uh, the stewardess gets on, uh, on and says, I'm sorry, we've tried to fix it. We can't figure out what's wrong. And so the guy next to him is just like, this is bull. This is ridiculous. You know those kinds of people, right? And, and of course, Louis C.K. points out uh, the fact that, like, how grateful, ungrateful this guy is. A few minutes ago, he didn't, even knew, he didn't even know wireless internet existed on an airplane, and now he feels like these, this airline owes him wireless internet because they tried to get it to work and it didn't, right? This is the same situation with Jonah. I mean, he has a shade come up and he thinks, yes, I deserve this. Finally, I deserve what I, what I, what I, uh, I get what I deserve. And, and we feel like all the time that God owes us, he owes us shade. He owes us comfort. He owes us ease of life because we have been good people, because we have done nice things, and, and because that's how God is. He's gracious. He doesn't need to give us anything bad. And of course, we look at God and say, Shh, this is bull. You, 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 you owe us shade. You owe us comfort. You owe us, how can you send a worm and just eat it? You know? I mean, a lot of you feel like that all the time. And I, I, I'm just looking at Jonah and I'm saying, I'm, I'm of course pointing my finger at him and saying, come on. Come on, Jonah. Just go into the city, get a drink of water, go hang out with some people, get to know some people, maybe talk to them about the Lord, walk them through some discipleship plans or something. Help them out. And of course, Jonah's there whining. Just whining. The sad reality is, is that Jonah cared more about that plant, that comfort, that shade, than he did the city. And I'm left, I'm, I'm left asking when I'm reading this, why doesn't he care about the city? Why does he not care? I mean, God is asking us the same question though, isn't he? Why is it that you care so much about your suburban life when there was no such thing as suburban life uh, several years ago? That's a fairly new phenomenon. Why is it that you care so much about having the fancy clothes when those fancy clothes were really out of style a long time ago? I mean, serious. We feel like we feel like we're owed comfort, we're owed ease of life, we're owed all of these things because God should do that because we've been good, we've earned it, we've made our money, we've done our, our career successfully, we own or earn these kinds of things. And God is looking at us and saying, do you do well to be angry the fact that I took those things away from you, that I took the plant, that I took the comfort, that I took the ease of life away from you? And what scares me, and I've said this many times throughout Jonah, is the scariest thing about, um, about Christianity and the scariest thing that we must all be worried about is when things are so comfortable and ease of life that God has stopped taking away those things from us. He sends us through storms like Jonah went through. He sends us through all kinds of heartache and issues, not because he's angry, but because he's trying to show us his grace. That's what he's doing to Jonah. 
The fact that he made a plant grow up overnight and then the next night he has it destroyed by worms, he doesn't do that just to be a jerk. He does it because he's trying to show Jonah that his identity must be in him, not in shade or comfort, not in the city, not in the the fruit of your ministry, none of those kinds of things. It must be in him. And so now, now, I want to point out the last question that God asks Jonah. So he first exposes uh, Jonah's heart about Nineveh, peeling back layer one. Then he, and then he expresses Jonah's anger about his own, or exposes Jonah's anger about his own comfort. He peels back layer two. Now he gets to the very bottom of what this entire story is there for, asking, and should I not pity Nineveh? Now, this question has nothing to do with Nineveh but it has everything to do with God. The problem Jonah the problem Jonah has always had isn't, isn't that Nineveh repented. It isn't that he, he, he uh, had shade and he didn't have shade. It isn't that he went through a storm. His problem this entire time was that God was trying to show him grace. Now next week, we're going to jump a hundred years into Nineveh's future, looking at the book of Nahum. We're going to look at that book, and that's all about God's wrath. So you, you, you bring some friends. It'll be good. So <laughs> this now, we see the problem is God's grace. So you morbid people will get excited about next week, next three weeks, we talk about wrath. But now, he's trying to show God's grace, and that's the whole point. This may seem foreign to many of you. This may seem very foreign. You, you're going to have a hard time relating to this, but because on a large scale, we, um, you know, as Americans, or we in our culture have a hard time, um, or we are generally grace givers, and so we don't get mad that God shows people grace. We don't get mad about that. We actually expect that, right? You and I expect God to give grace because we've heard our whole life, God loves you. God loves you. He shows you grace. He shows you grace. Grace, 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 which is very true. But we usually don't have that much of a problem with that. We get mad when God shows us wrath. We don't like that. But Jonah is pointing out a very different perspective. He's pointing out the the wrath perspective. How is God merciful? How is he mercy-filled? How is he filled with grace and mercy? For us. How is he doing this? Because Jonah's very angry about this. He expected wrath. So many of you expect grace. I'm good, therefore I get a free ticket to heaven. They're bad, they go to hell. Well, they're not that bad, so they can get a pass. You know, we're generally giving grace in this, but Jonah is not filled with grace. How can God show grace to any of us? Jonah is coming with a different perspective. You think, how can God send people to hell? How could he do that? And Jonah's on the other side saying, are you kidding? How can God send people to heaven? See, Jonah had this perspective. This is my God. This is my God, the God of Israel, not Nineveh. Nineveh didn't deserve grace. I do. I deserve grace. But God is trying to show Jonah that no one deserves grace. 
No one, not the religious person, not the rebellious person, no one deserves grace. Not him, not the religious, not Nineveh, not the rebellious, no one. No one deserves grace. So it's taking these two types of people, and we're looking at the grace in Jonah, and we're going to look at the wrath in Nahum, and it's taking these types of people and saying, look, the bottom line is is that no one deserves grace. No one deserves grace. Jonah and, and us don't have this perspective. We don't have this perspective because we've grown up our whole lives that you are, you are a snowflake, special and unique in every way. You are, you are, you're special, and you just have to use your snowflakeness to, to shine and reflect. I don't know, you know, we, we, you have this. And, and the issue and the problem is, is that we, we, we aren't, we all deserve wrath. Um, we, would take, we would take this perspective that no one deserves wrath. We all, take, we all deserve grace. So we get mad at God. We get mad at God with the same anger. Did you hear that? We carry with us, we get angry at God with the same anger that Jonah had. Though we're looking at it from completely different sides. We have the same self-righteous anger at God. That God doesn't show everyone grace. Do you see, the problem with Jonah is God's grace to Nineveh. The problem with you and I is God's grace to you and I. But the whole book The reason Jonah was written is to show us that no one deserves grace. But God relentlessly pursues us, rebellious and religious, to show us that grace. It's it's a mind-blowing thing to show us. That no, God's grace is not based on our good works. It's not based on our good intentions. It's not based on our good habits. It's not based on us going to church. It's not based on you at all. You or I at all. Now, some of you hate this about God, just like Jonah did. Some of you need to understand God's wrath or his grace. You need to have God figured out. You need to have all of his grace understood, his wrath understood. You have to have everything figured out. You need to feel in control and in charge of your salvation. You need to feel like you're the one controlling the situation. When, it ta- when it's taken from you, when that control is taken from you, when God's grace is distributed to whoever, whenever, and wherever, then you feel like you are out of control and you're going to get angry with God. You will get angry with God. You're going to sulk, and you're never going to get the grace that he extends to you. Do you see? Do you see the anger and the frustration that came upon a man, Jonah, who was just frustrated and angry because that grace, that grace that God was trying to show him, just he couldn't get it. God leaves Jonah with some deep questions he, he lobs these three big questions that expose Jonah's deepest need. One scholar reminds us, what is God really like? Is thus a more important question in this book than the question, what is Jonah really like? This book is really showing us God's character. So God asks these questions not only to Jonah, but to you. Do, you. do you do well to be angry because God shows grace to someone else who doesn't deserve it? Or do you do well to be angry at a plant that comes and goes because of God's grace? 
Or do you do well to be angry that God gives and takes, that he desires your heart and comfort over, uh, heart over comfort and ease? Should God not pity the rebellious as well as the religious? God's grace is for all of us. It's for all of us. Not that we deserved any grace at all, but God pursues us. Uh, this, this has always been the character of God. This is the Old Testament God. Always pursuing us with his grace. Relentless with his grace, just like Christ was. We, we see Christ's prayer in Matthew 23. Jesus' prayer when he looks over all of Jerusalem. Remember, all of the religious people. All of the Jonas, the people like you and me, the religious people that go to church, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as, hen, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. What he's saying is, God is saying, I'm trying to gather you. I've been trying to show you my grace. I have been doing everything I can to come after you and show you my grace. I'm inviting you to come in and experience this grace. But many of the religious just say, mm, I don't need it. I got this. Many of you religious people say, well, I'm a good person. I don't think this applies to me because I don't need grace. Remember, Jonah said it himself, salvation belongs to the Lord. He said that several chapters ago. But when God started peeling back the layers in Jonah's heart, he understood that he can't just know that salvation belongs to the Lord. He has to experience that salvation. And did Jonah experience it? Did he actually experience it? The, the, the book doesn't tell us. We don't know what happens to Jonah. There's two books in the entire Bible that end with a question like this. Jonah and Nahum. These books end just by saying, asking us a question. You know why? Because what God is doing is he's lobbing this question, not just to Jonah, but to us. He doesn't want to just give you the answer and say, here it is, the plan for your life. He's saying, I want you to see and question your heart. Are you being transformed? Are you being changed? Jesus shows grace for both the religious and the rebellious. In Jesus' death on the cross, he takes all that wrath and he gives us all the grace, all that we don't deserve. We don't deserve any of that. The question we all must deal with is the same question Jonah had to deal with. Will we live in God's grace or will we continue in God's wrath? That's the question that is being asked in Jonah. And that's the question I want to leave you with. Let's pray. God, when we look at this amazing story, this amazing, um, this amazing story of your grace, God, we can't help but think that our lives are so wrapped up in other people's spirituality, in, in our comfort and our ease of life, but God, you are pulling back those layers in our hearts to show us that we all, religious and non-religious, we all need your grace and your mercy. So please, Father, we pray that you would, in your grace, pursue us relentlessly. Pursue us passionately so that we can know you, we pray 
Jesus' name, amen.